1: We call it Epcot. It will be our experimental motorbike city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast, taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome
0: to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast, the official podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society. I'm your host, Todd McCartney, and this is episode 77, part one of Wonders of Life, which will be a multi-part series over the next few months to take us back to those, an amazing Epcot Pavilion. So, but sitting in with me as always as we record today, Mr. How Bowers. How are you doing today, how? aloha i am doing well thank you i think i have one location left in my little list for you by the way
3: oh oh i can't wait to. this better be a good since it's the last one i'm sure this is going to be the best
0: uh, i don't know but ever i haven't mentioned it here the city of champions
3: oh yeah so you've had some championships recently we've had some championships let's see we got uh, that super bowl thing you had
0: that that world series thing and the hockey and that stanley cup too yeah couple of couple of stanley cups there yeah I'm Coming from another sports city there is uh, Mr. Brian P. Miles. How are you tonight, Brian?
1: Greetings and salutations. I don't have a whole lot more to say, except uh, I, I understand the Philadelphia Phillies are in the hunt, as they there say, for a, for, a, for a wild card spot. But that's about the extent of my my sporting knowledge right now at this time it's of year. It's about
0: the extent of our ESPN updates, uh, as usual, too, that are not timely. after they They don't age well, but that's okay. Right. I'm uh, coming in from Ohio, the Rubber City, capital of the world. Mr. JT Kuja, he's back to school. The kids are running amok. He's serving all sorts of wonderful delights in the cafeteria and helping out. How you doing tonight, JT?
2: I'm great. Uh, I'm making sure they're not running amok. Uh, no running in the halls. <laughs> oh, okay. Slow down um i do have a new a new idea i'm gonna make a legend of myself and if i catch a kid walking i'm gonna give him a crisp one dollar bill and let the legend spread so if i see you walking it's a dollar wow you know yeah you never you never know you might get And i really only have to give out a few dollars and then the legend will grow
3: so that's interesting we have this thing called falcon bucks Adam yeah the yeah character little. cash it's yeah, yeah where so they yeah think. exactly where they but, give but out but like
2: i'm it. gonna skip that i'm gonna give real dollars, real prices. hard dollars yes, that they can so spend y- on if <laughs> candy
0: candy yeah. well i had i had to do this uh if that was for me how, how old are these kids what are they what grade are they in
2: first and second
0: Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go 1981 here for myself. So you would have around, carry around a quarter, a nickel, and a penny for me. So it would have been 31 cents with our inflation calculator. So there you go. So
2: I mean, it's a you know yeah. this nice little thing. But we're you know going off the sports. Uh, we we don't really have a lot going on, although the the Guardians are apparently doing good. They're still the Indians to me, and uh, I, I'm ready for wonders of life because. This was one of the places I spent a lot of time in my first visit to Epcot.
0: There you so. go. And how you're going to be taking us through this. And i tell you, uh, I want to thank our listeners, too. We took a little brief hiatus there for about a month. Everybody was very busy traveling. Myself, JT was getting ready for the school year. How your children were in camp and you were traveling. Brian traveled. So... Uh, I
1: travel back and forth to the pool every day we... <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> So it's glad to get the group back together here as we get into the fall season. So we've got a boatload of things to do for you. But as now, always... Now wait, yeah. uh, can,
2: before you start, can yeah. I just note, we, we started this, was it a fall thing or a spring thing when we started this, the first episode ever? Was it like a May or uh, like a uh, fall?
0: It was November, I believe. So it was a fall. So we are, we're coming up so we're getting up on
2: close Saturday. to how many years is this starting now?
0: You know, I always I always
2: forget. Like I'm I'm you know, imagining this is like, you know, the beginning of, of season We're close. Eight, seven Well,
1: we, we are in eight we are in our eighth year. That's
2: insane. Yeah.
1: So 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 just so you know how this works, J T, next year we'll celebrate Epcot's fortieth. Got it. And then the following year we will celebrate our ten senial
2: Oh. Okay. How about that? How about that? Get excited. And then we retire.
1: Just kidding, everybody. (laughs) Just kidding, everybody. So I'm really
0: really curious when we publish
2: now, number one, because I'm the first episode. Yeah, hold on. I'm
0: going to have it here in a second.
2: I recall getting on and saying, are we just going to demo out our equipment? And you said, no, we're recording an episode. And I said, oh, my God, we are.
0: Preview episode was November twelfth, two 2014. And our so official free. first my, one came out November twenty
1: third, two thousand fourteen. Yeah, so I got my numbers yeah, right, man. Right on, right on target. I'm on top of this. So we're we're wow. coming up
0: on the ninth year.
2: Unbelievable. So, so yeah, that's seventy seven episodes later. That's all right. Yep, we're there.
0: All right. Well, GT- and, only, and,
3: and only I think thirty seven of them are on horizons.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the special will continue in yeah. three weeks part six and seven you still promise people uh a pleasure on a part four so i mean they're they're, they're and alien
2: it. encounter well that's true we do oh yeah owe them okay we'll do it seven.
0: we'll do it we do we do so we
2: owe them a lot <laughs> yeah a lot
0: of work to be done yet um all right well jt uh we always dip into the mailbag uh, a lot of people writing us since there was a lot of time here between episodes but certainly got a great yes the the the
2: pool the the pool is closing soon brian so let's dip our toes into the mailbag ah well done uh first one this is actually uh we're going back to july when it was a brighter happier time this one's from Lindsay white and how actually uh discussed this with Lindsay but this is a good question because people you know might be doing this and they don't know Lindsay basically uh she is a uh, just got her Master's in Engineering back in May. Congratulations. She wants to become an Imagineer someday. She's a younger listener, but uh, she is really curious um, about pin trading. She wants to know the history, how it started. Uh, her and her parents were talking about this, and they just were curious, uh, you know, what? what's the deal with that? And by the way, Brian, she uh, made the trek from Philly every year to disney and uh said go flyers to you um so how what did you tell her about pin trading because i i actually knew the answer to this one i recently learned it but go ahead so here's here's what i found out i
3: you know what i did not know because i'm not a i have very little interest in pin trading but it is it is a huge thing so i thought maybe we should find out about it right so i looked into it and uh, it turns out Um, I remember pins have been sold in the park for years, the clothes and a pins, Uh, but it wasn't really a big deal. Uh, Like pin trading wasn't the huge thing that we think of it now uh, until the Millennium Celebration at Epcot. Um, Walt Disney World's merchandise department actually spun up an entire division specifically to support pin trading. And in fact, even in that first year in 99, they actually released... 400 pins um, wow. to like sort of grease the wheels and and get it started. They um, they sent people out um, to um, events to to see like what the pin traders were doing at other places. Like I remember back as far as like the Olympics and thing, that was a big deal. You know.
1: I was just going to say the 96 Olympics, there was like the Coca-Cola uh, commemorative pin set. That's one thing that I vividly remember.
3: Yeah. And, it, and I think that goes back a, a long ways. It's like people would come and bring a pin from their country, their sport, meet somebody, trade it. And then by the end of the, um, you know, the Olympics, you could have pins from, you know, all, a bunch of different people.
1: Uh, the They also, I guess we should speak briefly about the origin of th- those pins were generally prior to that uh, regarded as lapel pins and. Men primarily would wear them on their suit lapels. Uh, so they, I mean, they exist going back a hundred years before that, but they would usually be uh, either corporate related, like you'd get a pin for your five year anniversary, or for doing business with someone, you get a Coca Cola pin. Or I used to collect them when I traveled uh, until I filled up like. Well, first the jewelry box got filled with them, and then I filled up uh, canvas. I bought some blank canvas at Michael's Arts and Crafts and just stuck them all on there. Uh, so I had, a, like, a ton of Disney ones. Uh, I wasn't a pin trader, but whenever I would travel, I would pick them up at I had a Disneyland Paris one and a, uh, from tourist attractions all over the world uh, where I would stop uh, pre-millennium. Uh, that was, like, a simple thing to collect, as opposed to shot glasses or spoons. <laughs> mm. I
3: remember the hard rock cafe ones were popular when people would yes. go yeah. yeah, to some other hard yeah. Rock. and places. I
0: remember I bought a number of pins from Epcot. I think I have got most of the pavilions and a few others, and I had a picture frame. I, I didn't go out and get the velvet like it sounds like Brian did, but I, I remember pushing them through a... Picture frame like the cardboard in it, and putting the glass on top and it and oh. I had that on my oh uh, wall. Yeah, I think I, I arranged them kind of like in the order that they were around the, the pavilions in Epcot. So, do you still That's have cool. it? I, I did take it apart a number of years ago, so unfortunately, mm. it's
1: yeah. well. I I gave all of my Disney ones, which comprised three small little can canvas things that are set up free to do paintings. Mm. Uh, I just found they were a cheap way to. I bought a block of ten, and they were a good way to for things that you pin to just stick in there, Uh, they were a good way to display those things because I didn't want them in the jewelry box anymore. Uh, And so I gave all my Disney ones to my niece who one year for Christmas who does collect, like, Disney pins and stuff. And all of the assorted other ones which are from, like, I mean, I have odd ones like, you know, Mount Vernon or, you know, James Madison's Ashlawn Highland estate and stuff like anywhere I visited I would buy one in the gift shop because they were easy to throw in the bag and and you know it was something to have and then I used to wear them to when I used to wear suits a lot more I used to pick a different pin all the time and and wear them and now they just all went into a canvas thing and sit on the floor so that
3: little hole in the suit thing is specifically for pins
1: uh Uh, that's what that's what it's for boutonnieres yeah um I'd say it's more, uh, you know, any 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 well any kind of display. But yes, that that that's where you put it, is in the slats in in your uh, in your lapels. I was wondering what that uh, thing
0: was for. Thank you, Brian.
1: That's what it's yeah. for. You can put your you can put your pins in there, or a boutonniere, or a fresh flower. Um, in case uh, you need what, to but, beat
2: a man with a red carnation. somewhere. Pen, yeah. anything you want to hold, anything you want, anything you want to keep but, cool. That's...
1: But if you're <laughs> if you're amazed by you know, them making four hundred of them that first year. The reason, as Todd will tell you, is they're extremely cheap to produce. Oh,
0: yeah. yeah, the I mean, you're talking at the quantity that Disney produces them, you're talking pennies. So the markup on pins is phenomenal. It, oh, it's disgusting it some is, of them too. What fifteen,
2: twenty dollars a
0: pin? Oh, those are costing the well, under a buck to make.
1: And and it's and it's also the reason why there is um a, a giant uh, fraudulent market for the Disney pins. Yeah, yeah. So that that eBay and all that, like they actually, go, you know, guys go out and get five thousand of the most desirable ones made and then list them on eBay. Um, I mean, anybody can and, have
0: any pin made these days. I love how Disney tried you know. to put the Mickey ears on it to show it's a hidden Mickey and it's an original Mickey pin. I mean, anybody can draw three circles. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: it's not yeah, You've never seen me you've never seen me try to draw. Right. Right. But we now, will say we've... now
0: that now that the truth is exposed, we've made pins before and thank you very much for your donations of a few dollars to get that pin, knowing that they're relatively inexpensive. But we don't pay pennies, but we, we, we pay a low price. The
1: real the real value is in the art and the memories you make Absolutely. along the way. Yeah, yeah. and these are how Bowers pins yeah. a lot of
0: times. We That's... still have a number of the whatchamacallits left. That's our last set of pins to go.
2: Of the soul uh, uh, type, or whatever. Remember when we were in the Utilidors, Todd, and mm-hmm. they showed us the pin trading station oh, for the right. cast members, and they were like, "All you pin traders, you're gonna freak out because it was like <laughs> you could walk up as a cast member and pick any twenty pins you wanted for your pieces of flair and, yep. and wear it on stage or whatever." So, yeah. So All I right. guess I guess we should so, also
3: mention that the uh, the the big ass hat, the the Mickey yeah. Sorcerer hat. Um, although it wasn't originally designed for that. It was uh, included as part of the 100 years celebration of Walt. It's like eventually that became a, tri- a pin trading station after the multimedia uh, elements were removed, the touchscreens. Um, of course, there's the huge pin trading uh, thing on at Epcot Center in the middle of Communicore. Uh, and then where did... Oh, oh at... Um, at um, Disney Springs in the old Lake Bonavista shopping center, uh what was the Captain's Tower became a huge pin trading area, like it started out small and then eventually the all of the sides of that hexagon became pins. And did they do a special pin place at the Magic Kingdom or is it just kind of spread out all over? I can't I think don't of... remember a specific
2: spot.
1: Oh, we'll get emails from the pin traders, but yeah, I'm I'm not sure <laughs> uh what what that location. It should be noted that the hat in, uh, which was how it was referred to in uh, Disney-MGM Studios at the time, uh, that was paid for out of the merchandising budget and not from the parks and attractions budget. So uh, it was there to sell things. Nice.
3: Um, and, and if anyone's interested in a full and complete rich history of pin trading, there's actually a wonderful video on YouTube um, done by our our pal Stephen Miller um, who was in charge of the pin trading and he actually went back to the, the group of people that started it all. And it's a incredibly wonderful and comprehensive interview with those folks where they go into the origins of it in great detail. So there will be a link to that, uh, in the show notes so you can go and get the full history there. It's really, really something cool. All
2: right. Thanks, Lindsay. Hopefully that uh, helped you out. Good luck with the, uh, Master's degree and all that. Uh, Here we go. Next one is from Chris. Chris said he just finished listening to episode 75, the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids episode. Uh, Couldn't help but notice your background music was Ray Lynch's Deep Breakfast songs. My parents had picked that tape up at some point in the mid to late 80s, and it became a regular part of the road trip mix. But I had always made this mental connection to Epcot with it, and I think the Wonders of Life Pavilion, because it was the ambient music played there, perhaps... Am I remembering that correctly? And if so, do you know if Disney commissioned it or it just licensed? After re-listening to that album on iTunes after your podcast, I couldn't help but think the entire album sounds like 1980s Future World.
3: Man, he is he is right about that. That music was used in so many places when New Age music became popular in the late, you know, mid to late 80s. It got used as background music in Tomorrowland in uh wonders of life in the honey i shrunk the kids movie set adventure playground uh it was everywhere and, and those songs were not written specifically for disney those were re- released as albums and they would put together a, a group of songs from artists like vangelis and oh i'm trying to think of some of the other people um, ray lynch which was one that we mentioned I'm trying to think like behind the waterfall was now
1: behind the waterfall on, I mean, every,
3: is, on yeah. everything. Um, but there's the, there was a whole new age trend. I remember there were even like new age uh light jazz radio stations.
1: Uh oh sure. <laughs> smooth smooth jazz one oh six here in Philadelphia.
3: Yeah, we had I think it was the dove down in uh in Florida in Tampa St. Pete. Uh but yeah, you could you could listen to that
1: music like nonstop. Did they use any Yanni in the parks? Possibly, yeah. The yeah, ref- that sounds... Or how, how, how about Zamfir and his pan flute? No,
3: one. Um, but Andreas Wallenheimer definitely oh, got used.
1: Who who wrote
3: um,
0: the, the theme of the Illuminations Millennium? I think that or Reflections of Earth. What, one of those is very, very similar to Yanni, and it was definitely came from that late 90s uh, time frame.
3: Oh, uh, you know I was? believe that was all done by Don Dorsey.
1: Yeah,
0: Don Dorsey. Okay, it just has that Yanni
1: feel.
3: It was, you know, that big, especially when he started getting in with orchestras and they would mix, you know, the guy with the synthesizers with the orchestras. Like, didn't uh, he do a thing like live at the Acropolis? That was a huge.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yanni it, did that. Yeah, then we featured. That a... it, we had a little clip from him on one of our uh, past episodes too. <laughs> I won't do it again, to you, folks. Don't worry. It always comes back it
1: to. Comes Yanni. Back. <laughs> Retro WDW
0: podcast, live at the Acropolis. Now we have something to to really shoot for.
1: There we go. Save them frequent flyer miles. On our Greek tour. The world showcase country that never was. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, thanks, Chris. Uh, Right on point with today's episode. You just look at that synergy. All right. Next up, here we go. This is from Peter. Peter coming in hot with a good question, which I I don't know if any of us are going to know the answer to. This could be a, uh, I don't even know if anybody elsewhere does, but Peter wrote in and said this may seem like an odd question, but uh, I'm just wondering what the maximum speed of the carousel of progress is. (laughs) Long live the buffeteria. (laughs) Somebody
0: had, there, there was a statistic on that once.
2: And like theoretical or operational? Well, I mean, let's. He did say he, uh, you know, had a joke going with his brother. He said Bob Gerd probably sitting there going, "How fast can we get this thing going here?" Yeah. At some point, they probably <laughs> the got it up gra- to
3: where it was just throwing people out of the doors. <laughs> the,
1: the, 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 gra- the gravitron
3: of
0: <laughs> <a> rotor machine. <laughs> so there is there is some statistics on it that it's two feet per second. All uh, right. Let's do a little so math. To, here, Two to miles per hour. So let's just do the count. Ca- that's one point three six miles per hour. But of course, that depends on where in the radius you're sitting, right? Because you're technically going faster on the outside than you are on the inside. So you know. Oh,
3: so people that are on the inside moving like, slower. If you're in the front row of the carousel of progress, you actually finish the show before the
2: people on the outside. <laughs> well, the yeah, finish, it's, like, it's like it turns into a time machine then, because you're yeah, clearly. Well, like it is a time the... machine.
0: You go forward, you go back in time. it's <laughs> true, anyways. You're right. So yeah, I mean. Really, when you think about it, the people at the back, they're moving faster, are actually aging faster than the people at the front. So just that is true. Yeah, that old experiment, well, right? Sending two astronaut twin, you know, one one stays on Earth, one goes up.
2: Yeah, we we compare then. Yeah, it's. <laughs> All right, so well, I Peter, want somebody
0: well, to ride the carousel for about a year, and we'll see how you. And your twin can sit in the front, and we'll see how you're different.
2: You know, we had a guy in Geauga Lake here. He rode the rotor every ride. It was the one, you know, where the floor dropped and it spins real fast. Every ride, he was on there every year. He was known as the rotor guy. So he just,
0: every day, he just rode the rotor?
2: That's it. Every time he went to Geauga Lake. (laughs)
0: He that's, was the road. I mean, that's that's as good as he's the got fact.
2: his own Facebook page. I don't I don't think it's his, but people, you know, he was like a legend at Yaga. Lynn. It's almost like the
0: professionals we... that they call themselves at Dave and Buster's. that just sit there and he
2: was he was a professional. He was a professional <laughs> road. I would love I
1: would love to medically know what the, that consistent level of G force does to your uh, internal organs. Yeah. Like, is there? Like, does he have a flattened spleen or something after all those <laughs> he's years? He's got of...
2: a really straight spine, I heard. That's... Yeah, he's just... <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, Peter, well, well, you know, maybe we get a cast member out there listening and is like, you know, one night in 89, we really cranked her up, you know? That'd be the... <laughs> we'll, we'll see here. Grad night, 1990.
3: Uh... There's got to be a huge motor under that thing, right? I mean, yeah. with the... You need a lot of torque to get it started. The gearing is, is really impressive on that, I'm it, sure. I know it's supposed to be on railroad... Like
2: and you can go under tracks. it, can't you? Like I think I've seen pictures from under it. Yeah. Well,
1: I yeah, I mean I think it's based on a on like a railroad uh roundhouse turntable uh concept. Yeah.
0: Which which are extremely well balanced and you can turn a locomotive just with a few people yeah. moving. I mean they're precision engineering.
1: And certainly of sure. uh, uh you know, those full size locomotives of the past, those old steam locomotives weight wise would probably be in line with a fully loaded carousel of
2: progress. So, Sure. All right. Well, thanks, uh, Peter. We'll let you know if we get any, uh, any updates on that one. Next up is Jimmy. I love this email, Jimmy. Uh, he says he just finished watching or listening to the uh, 4th of July TV special podcast. He worked on that show in 88, everybody. He was a, yeah, I love this he one. He was a uh, grip and a post-tape op. He said he later went on to produce and direct some of the parade specials in the 90s. Just so you know, it was common back then to shoot many of the celebrity short segments throughout the year. Anytime a celebrity was at the park, we would grab a video crew, ask them to say Merry Christmas, Happy Easter, or whatever. We might be, uh, it, it could use an upcoming special. They were usually just written on cue cards, and the celebrity would quickly read them off. Often... There was little to no prep, and we'd just shoot them wherever they might be in the park that day. For the 4th of July special, he remembers the entire show was pre-recorded. Sandy Patty was live, though. The satellite truck was locate the Magic Kingdom, but the editing was done at the media production offices behind Epcot. While the hour one tape was airing, we were still editing hour two. We finished it, and it was raced over to the Magic Kingdom with just minutes to spare before it went live. He really enjoys the podcast and his wife has attended the last two retro magic events and they really love them um he says in the 90s he was director on the mickey mouse club as well as many other projects at walt disney world so he uh he's our new guy 83 to 2000 we're reaching out to jimmy
3: yeah i i can't wait to try to talk to him about the production stuff that went on at disney mgm because that I, that's one of my little favorite side things. So, like, talking to someone who actually got to direct the Mickey Mouse Club, Justin Timberlake and all those – I mean, beyond the celebrity thing, I just find that's fascinating. And So, I know we'll get some good stories
2: uh, if we can start talking to him. Yeah, thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate that. All right, one more to round us out. Here we go. This is from Bill. He says, uh, hello, podcast. Does anyone know what happened to the life-size marionettes from the former carousel at the end of El Rio del Tiempo?
1: and boy
3: i i started to look into this and bill and i went back and forth a bit and uh i think the answer is we don't know um
1: yeah. we, they're all in shelby's garage
3: yeah. <laughs> We, you know we know uh a lot of the stuff from that ride of significance was tagged magged and taken away because the um there were a couple of pieces that showed up in the um bowers museum exhibit of yeah. imagineering the um you know the um oh gosh uh, yeah. Quetzalcoatl in his human form was there And
1: didn't he go to Graceland afterwards yeah. when the Disney archive exhibit yes. and I you know I suspect he may be in Philadelphia next year when the Franklin Institute exhibit for Disney's 100th uh starts
3: Yeah so so I, I suspect I don't know if they would have kept the figures but uh, they certainly would have kept the costumes and archived those cuz those were gorgeous I I doubt they would have kept the whole carousel. Um, When we were talking back and forth, he had heard a rumor that Michael Jackson actually bought them after the ride closed. And that would have been about two years before his death. So I don't know. It never showed up in any of the funny. There were a bunch of like auction catalogs of like things that Michael Jackson used to have that he doesn't need anymore. Now that he's passed away and we're going to auction it off. And none of that stuff showed up in there. So, huh. who knows? It could be in Tito's garage. <laughs> this is Tito. This is Tito.
2: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Michael Jackson, he always comes up. I mean, it's like Tom, Tom Cruise, Cruise. Yeah, chest I mean. of drawers, Roy's cab. It's just, they're all, it always comes around oh, Michael. Well, that's gonna do it for the mailbag. We appreciate all the letters uh write us uh, podcast at retroww com any uh questions comments stories We love a good story uh if you had anything to do with uh, wonders of life or anything uh, from there, let us know. We'd love to feature that on part two, three four or five however long this goes and uh, we are uh done with the mailbag
0: all right how well we're gonna take a step back to the very very Early days of Wonders of Life, and we're going to talk about how it formed us. We're going to talk about things that didn't quite make it because we've spoken to Roly, we've spoken to a lot of people who have worked previously on the Wonders of Life, which is sadly no more for our listeners who don't know what the Wonders of Life of where it is. It was between, oh my goodness, everything has changed. I would say between Universe of Energy and and Horizons, but now it's between Gardens of the Galaxy and Space. It's, that, still there, it's still there. Still there. you yeah. can the see it. Gold Dome big, has been yeah. refurbished over the years, and um, uh, you know, I think it was supposed to become a play place of character meet and greet. After, but it's kind of that. It's it's been in limbo for years. Used for I, I went in there, I don't know, six seven years ago for one of the um, flower and garden events. They were hosting different things like you know how yeah. to pot a plant or something like that, or pick up your free pumpkin seed over here. Um, so that was kind of neat. Um, did you get the pumpkin seed? I, 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 I think it was either that maybe it was a fern, something like that. I forget. Um, Hmm. But, uh, and, and how I know, I don't know if we're going to do it tonight. We have some, a very big myth to bust that we've gone through some very technical details and discussed a lot of things. We're going to talk Is that about. tonight. I don't I think know. We'll
3: do, we'll do that on the next one. Next episode. Oh, very, man. very anxious because I'm very anxious when
0: we get, get to that. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. All right. Well, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll quiet down here and simmer myself here. I'd let you, how's going to be leading these episodes. So how ahead of time, thank you for your research and due diligence on this, but. Let's uh, turn back the clocks to what year? Where are we going back?
3: I think we're going to go back to 1976. Wow. Let's, the Bicentennial. will it's a good time for, for wondering about life, I guess. I guess so. so.
1: Back in 1976. <laughs> da, 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 da,
3: da. <laughs> so a, a pavilion dedicated to the topic of health appears in the earliest literature describing Wedd's initial ideas for the Epcot Theme Center, Epcot Institute, and Satellite. So remember... Back at this iteration of Epcot, this early one, uh, when when it was supposed to be like the theme center was like where you'd learn, learn about stuff. There was the institute where like you'd have conferences and people would talk about ideas. And then the satellites were like, oh, we'll have a solar energy plant over here and we'll have this kind of thing of air so you can go out and see live demonstrations as well. Uh, in this earliest iteration of Epcot, the health attraction would have been part of the community pavilion. Which along with science and technology, so uh, they had the Community Pavilion, the Science and Technology Pavilion, and the Arts and Entertainment Pavilion, as well as CommuniCore. And those four things together would make up Epcot Center. Um, The 1976 prospectus created for potential sponsors describes it like this. The Community Pavilion will present, present future concepts in education, health, and medicine, and the various and vital components of the community. Economics, planning, and design, and government services for people. So... As the Epcot Theme Center became Epcot Center after being famously pushed together with the then-separate World Showcase Project, conferences were held with top minds in health and medicine to find the information that the pavilion might share with audiences. Imagineer Rolly Crump, known for his work on the Museum of the Weird, It's a Small World, and Walt Disney World's Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, was brought back to work at WED after he'd gone off and do, done his own thing for a little while, and he was made the show lead on the project with Dr. Charles Lewis, the professor of health services, nursing, and family medicine at UCLA School of Public Health, acting as the chief consultant. Now, Dr. Lewis was a nationally and internationally recognized scientist, physician, and researcher, who made important contributions to literature in public health, preventative medicine, nursing, and healthcare delivery. He also served as a member on the Council of the Institute of Medicine and the National Academy of Sciences from 1978 to 1980, so he was a big deal. And he was chair on the board of health services, healthcare services of the Institute of Medicine from 1981 to 1983. So as, as they say, he was top
0: men. Top men. Um, Put a top
3: yep. men on it. Um, it. It was Dr. Lewis who came up with the phrase that would become Roly's philosophy for crane attractions all throughout Epcot Center. If it's a ton of fun and an ounce of information, you'll reach the teachable moment. So that was Dr. Lewis's deal.
0: I remember um, Roly telling us that too in our interview that really that teachable moment portion stuck with Rolly his entire life and to this day he still talks about it which is great
1: they were figuring out a new way to deliver an attraction experience you know Pirates of the Caribbean wasn't trying to teach you about the history of pirates (laughs) and you know they were learning uh, Epcot and how best to present that information and it's you know, I know how it's going to go through this, but it's just so interesting that the, you know, the pavilion that didn't get built, really the ethos for how they did all those attractions came from the work on this pavilion. Yeah,
3: yeah, very, very, very true. As a research phase of the project went on, Rolly became frustrated by the infighting and lack of consensus among healthcare professionals. He wanted to make the pavilion's messaging as broad as possible to appeal to the corporate sponsors that Disney was approaching. Finally, Dr. Lewis told Rowley that doctors and scientists could agree on what he called the eight health habits. Although the exact list is seemingly lost to history, as best I can tell, the eight health habits were one, getting adequate, adequate sleep, two, eating a balanced diet, three, exercising regularly, four, not using tobacco, five, light to moderate alcohol consumption, six, good dental care, seven, practicing mental health. And eight, having access to health care. So, Roly took these eight habits and developed the majority of the pavilion's attractions around them with the help of fellow Imagineers Frank Armitage and Walt Paragoy. Together, they came up with the designs and plans that would be shopped around to potential corporate sponsors. Uh, in the completed model of the pavilion, the building had a large circular center with two wings extending on either side, which contained show buildings. These wings were obscured by a berm and waterfalls, with a central pathway leading to the entrance that opened into a courtyard with a fountain in the middle. A restaurant with a large outdoor patio was located on the right-hand side of the path leading to the pavilion, which presumably served healthy foods. So it's funny. There's a lot of elements here that are kind of dropped in that you'll see in the final version of Wonders of Life later on, and you'll you'll notice like there are some commonalities. Uh even though this whole thing got thrown away, a lot of this stuff ends up coming back.
1: Also, that restaurant with the outdoor terrace comes to uh Communicore. Yeah. Uh, when they built the was a Stargate, right?
3: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um that's actually a good point, Brian. Um so the occasionally I make it. <laughs> Don't get used to it though. Uh, the Life and Health Pavilion appeared again on a large model in, of the entirety of Epcot Center used in a 1978 press presentation hosted by Card Walker and Florida Governor Ruben Askew, minus one of the show building wings and looking for lack of a better term, more biological. I really don't know how to describe the building. It has a lot of sort of like droopy goopy and things like, I don't know, it's sort of Gaudi-esque. I'm, I'm not sure how to describe it. It's it's really interesting. We'll put a picture in the show notes for people to see Um, the restaurant was moved closer to the pavilion's interest and abstract spires and circular domes became the prominent features on the building's exterior. A painting of this model uh, also appears behind science fiction author Ray Bradbury in an often published photograph from this era. So there's a picture of like Ray Bradbury kind of like leading behind what looks like a model of the Epcot center. And it's actually a painting of the model of Epcot center, which I've, not figured out why they decided to make a painting of the model but but they did (laughs) um during this time the attraction names were reworked and the interior was restyled so you were probably wondering what was inside this thing and surprisingly a lot of this is going to sound familiar to anyone who's visited the wonders of life when it was operational in the 1978 version after you walked into the pavilion through a foyer sorry In the 1976 version, after you walked into the pavilion through through a foyer, the center opened up into a large circular room called the Great Midway of Life, with doors along the outside edge leading to different attractions. The area had a fun atmosphere that evoked uh, the sense of uh, sort of the fun and the energy of a classic carnival midway with a bit of a psychedelic feel, thanks to the influence of Walt Paraguay's art style. Um, Very much sort of like the carnival atmosphere that Hmm. we got (laughs) in the final version that that got built Um, disney's publications stated that the pavilion would teach guests quote the lesson that good health is based more than anything else on their own responsibility and behavior unquote and this theme was reflected in the first two of the pavilion's attractions at the exact center of the pavilion was a spinning care of self carousel Featuring sculptures representing the eighth habits, the eight health habits. Now, I think this is funny that we're talking about self-care in 1976. And this is something that I'd never heard about until maybe four or five years ago. That here, this concept had been out there all the time. Just right. people not not doing it. Really knew, but but we didn't. Maybe, maybe that's why he's lived to be as long as he, he has and is still, <laughs> he's still so active. That's and, right. Yeah. Um, close to that was the Good Health Habits, an animatronic show that explained the eight health habits in more detail. So once kids understood these habits, they would be ready to experience individual attractions throughout the rest of the pavilion that reinforced them. So um, another one of those attractions is this cracks me up. Uh, it was originally called the uh, the Bet Your Life Gambling Hall, and later was renamed the Casino of Health. So this looked like a gambling casino like a las vegas casino with custom-made health-related games of chance the model shows what appears to be slot machines roulette wheels and wheels of fortune uh, and in jeff heimlich's book it's kind of a cute story roly describes a specialty shooting gallery attraction where guests would stand in front of a shooting range like representing an activity like a swimming or running or riding a bicycle and then under each one of the activities there are a variety of healthy and healthy foods for you to target and When guests shot a particular kind of food like an apple or a piece of cake, a computer screen would display how long it would take for you to burn off the calories from the food that you shot by (laughs) doing the corresponding physical activity. So an apple might take an hour to work off, but the cake might take three days. So it was illustrating for you like what choices, the choices that you made when you're eating food and exercise and like how those things corresponded to each other, uh, which is a kind of a really good way to like just put it in your face and like have you understand, okay, I make a choice. These, these are the consequences of my choice. Uh, and all of the games in here, uh, would be giving you an opportunity to pick something and then showing you either the positive or the negative consequence to yourself for making that. And, and I think the idea is like, once you were done, you would think like, Oh, I should probably take better care of myself and not do something to sabotage myself. So it's a very nice, fun way to do that. The next attraction uh, was originally called the Head Trip, later became known as Brain Command, and that puts you uh, inside of the mind of a human, commanded and staffed by animatronic figures. And this show was supposed to be uh, the mental health component. Now. If you've been in, in <laughs> Wonders of Life, you probably have figured out that this is what became Cranium Command. Right. So this this idea of a theater with little guys inside of your head showing you stuff dates back to 1976. And it wasn't until 1989 that it was actually built.
0: Uh, so, I mean, this just proves again, we've said this time and time again, like the old ideas just never go away, right? Yeah. It's just... They're just right. shelved and they come back at another time when you least expect it. Right. So well, it only took them 15 years to build the pavilion. So <laughs>
1: That's
0: true. We had to find another uh, corporate profile that would give us some money. That's it. Yeah.
3: This next one kind of cracks me up. Uh, this, the original version was called the Theater of the Mouth, and it was later renamed Tooth Follies. And <laughs> guests sat in a theater sort of in the tongue position, surrounded by teeth so when you sat in your chair there were literally like teeth hanging from the ceiling and from the floor around you as if you were in inside this big giant mouth and then there was a screen out in front of the teeth representing the outside world and so you likely would have there's a lot of information out it but you know guess you probably would have learned about good eating choices and and dental hygiene in this attraction but can you imagine how sitting inside of a mouth. <laughs> it's like as stuff walks around outside of you. It's, it's just seems mouth so has creepy. Halitosis.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. You could absolutely do that. You could have the, the wisdom teeth. Uh, you could fall into the hole where the wisdom teeth used to be. And <laughs> so many possibilities. So many possibilities. Uh,
3: yeah. Uh, so next up, this, this was a pretty large area. It's probably took up about, Oh, maybe a third or so of, of the circle um sensory fun house a walkthrough exhibit filled with full-scale optical illusions and other sort of mental trickery and sure enough there was a sensory fun house built in the in the wonders of life pavilion although it was just like a small little exhibit that you would walk up to and we'll, we'll talk about that in detail when we get there but it's again it's funny that this idea from way back when like continues today um, there were to be two major attractions in the pavilion. One, not surprisingly for early for early Epcot was a film. Um, it was titled the joy of life and Disney described it as the beauty, dignity, and strength of a man from birth to the golden years. Uh, but really, I think sort of the key attraction was something called the incredible journey within, which was an omnimover style, dark ride where guests would get shrunk down to a microscopic size and take a tour through the human body much like Disneyland's adventure through inner space took guests through the microscopic world of atoms. So it is literally sort of the human body version of adventures through inner space. Yeah. Which begot um, body Wars. Yeah. Um, so the development of the incredible journey within was led by a engineer Frank Armitage, who actually has a fascinating backstory. He was originally from Australia. Um, he saw, I got a book or something about, mexican murals and absolutely fell in love with the way that they looked he traveled to mexico to learn mural painting eventually immigrated to the united states and he was hired by disney as an animator on peter pan and lady and the tramp Hmm. Um, with his painting skills though he eventually moved to the layout and background department uh in Disney, you know with disney animation and in that department he worked on films like sleeping beauty mary poppins and the jungle book So during this time when he's working on those movies, he's began taking classes at UCLA on anatomy and medicine. Uh, And he ended up revolutionizing the field of medical illustration. Um, Originally a lot of medical illustration were just like diagrams and charts. And it was, you know, that stuff with like, it looked very flat lit. And, you know, there'd be like, oh, here's a a sheet of cellophane with the esophagus on it. You pull it back (laughs) and then you can see like another thing. Well, He took a totally different tact from it, having, you know, worked on backgrounds and and theme park attractions and stuff. He his stuff was more like putting you inside of the body as if you were surrounded by it and less like you're just seeing a cutaway diagram. This was kind of radical for the time. Um, This work led him to become a production illustrator for the 1966 film Fantastic Voyage in which a team of scientists are miniaturized in a submarine and placed inside the body of a defecting scientist who has barely survived an attempt on his life. The crew must make their way through the body and reach his brain, where they have to destroy a blood clot clot that threatens the defector's life. So has anybody seen this movie?
1: Uh, I have seen it. I also saw Space in 1987 with Martin Short. And uh, so either one of them. Is a good, uh, you know, good comparison to what they were going for. Yeah, I thought
3: it was really interesting. Um, so Harper Goff was the um, the production designer on that. So the ship, the Proteus, so like he designed that stuff. Um, it's funny, a guy that designs Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea submarine ends up designing. All the stuff for uh, for Fantastic Voyage 2. And it was directed by Richard Fleischer, who was also directed 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and a bunch of other Disney action movies. So there's definitely like a Disney connection uh, with that movie. So The Incredible Journey Within would take guests on this trip through the circulatory system, heart, lungs, and brain through a large-scale, anatomically correct, immersive sets in an, an Omnimover-styled vehicle. Um, the design of the car changed several times through the attraction's development. Uh, it started out looking kind of like a red blood cell in the early blue sky artwork. You've probably seen um, that that painting before. Um, eventually, it starts to look like a higher capacity version of the Journey into Imagination web shape web shaped uh, cars with you know multiple rows. Um, Rowling noted uh, that while in the brain, that passengers would experience a brainstorm. And the car would become more like a mild roller coaster with some fast dips and turns. So you would start slow and then you would hit the section where it kind of like sped up. Sort of maybe a little bit like Splash Mountain where you're in the, you know, and then it hits the roller coaster part and then you, you get to go a little bit faster. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I think this attraction would have been both magnificent and terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine like walking the track at the end of the night before closing with all of these, like, giant blood vessels and lung <laughs> things and,
0: like, oh. how,
3: how do you dust and clean that?
0: Like, I, you it's... need to call the Franklin Institute because they have the giant heart there, right, Brian? You do have the yeah, heart you, you can, can walk, walk through. through which... So, that you, you know, that, that would be the, that would be that's who the first pair of people I would call. How is the janitorial, uh, you know, custodial but... work
1: on the heart? But... Again, I'm sure this is in your notes somewhere, and I'm stepping on your toes here, Hal. But this ties into body wars. Right. And the experience when you hit the bloodstream and it suddenly becomes a thrill ride. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that exact
3: path of like from the bloodstream through the the lungs and the heart and the brain, like that's literally all lifted from Fantastic Voyage and, and taken and into this attraction and then taken into body war. So it's so funny. It's just, it was the new iterate, the new hot iteration and probably a lot cheaper to turn it into a simulator than it was to build these sets full scale. And I try to imagine like, you know, with, um, that time when journey, when, um, sorry, when wonders of life was shuttered and sat there for 10 years, I'm trying to imagine what condition like this ride would have been in just sitting behind a plywood wall. (laughs) <laughs> like rot- rotting away. Um, it seems so, so weird. Um, I read some chatter when I was doing research from this um, from some people that may have been a- attached to the project. And they said that one of the problems that they had was trying to figure out how to get people into and out of the body, uh, like just conceptually, because uh like they i think somebody had there was a couple of ideas of like doing stuff like the mighty microscope to kind of shrink you down but there was really no way to pull you back out and so people were concerned that people would make the uh make the uh sort of the connection of like when you were leaving it'd be like getting pooped out like you're in the digestive tract and coming out (laughs) and so i don't know they were they, they felt like there were some problems with it but it's amazing. The model is like f- very fully fleshed out. And I know in Martin's videos, he's got a, a storyboards and like a bunch of, of concept art that was done for each one of the rooms. So it seems like it was very well thought out and just, you know, never, never got built. Um, so Rolly made the sales pitch for this pavilion to a number of sponsors in the pharmaceutical and medical, medical fields flying to New York from California on a Sunday evening to present the models in a rented space in the RCA building on Monday morning, and then returning back to LA that evening. And Rolly told us a story about how the president of Pfizer, Gerald D. Laubach loved the concept. uh, But all of the company's money was tied up in Ireland and Rolly had no idea what that meant. So I, I looked into it and along with Brian and so What we found out is that in 1969, Pfizer um, was one of the earliest pharmaceutical companies to invest in Ireland. And they opened a food chemicals plant in Ringeskiddy in Cork, uh, Cork County in Ireland. Um, But Brian pointed out probably the most uh, the more prevalent thing is that in the late 1970s, Ireland was becoming a tax haven for multinational corporations entering what is called the Celtic Tiger economic phase um there are all of these things there's this accounting stuff called the double irish arrangement or the <laughs> irish sandwich which i am completely unfamiliar with but perhaps someone like that dell's deals with economics can explain this to me it's something like this so pfizer uses transactions between companies within its own group to allow the Irish subsidiary based in Ringaskiddy to buy the rights uh, to patents developed in the United States and then use them to sell drugs that are sold back to the US affiliates so um even though the these Irish affiliates pay like 3.2 billion dollars in royalties the higher prices at which Pfizer imports the drugs like almost wipes out all of the profits like that you would get from this like the extra on top and then also the functional tax rate in uh in ireland is like 12.5 percent versus more like 30 or 40 in the united states or back then it was even higher Um, but apparently you can the way that you can write things off like you would end up with like a a real tax rate of more like one to 2.5%. So there's these accounting kind of processes that you can go through to like, make sure that you pay your taxes in Ireland versus the United States. And the tax rate is very, very low. Hmm. Uh, And in fact, this accounting practice is still used today by many, many, many major, um, corporations, AT&T, Apple, Facebook, like almost all the tech companies have some sort of subsidiary in Ireland and then like funnel all of their profits through that company in order to avoid paying like large taxes. Now, and I guess during the Obama administration administration, they like wrote some of the tax law differently to try to cut some of that off, but it's still happens today. So um if anybody inverless is are like really good multinational tax professionals and
0: want
3: to <laughs> explain this to us, please Help send us. us a letter at podcast at retrowdw.com.
0: We are not moving to Ireland. Also I should just confirm. We should, you know, agreement. if
3: you have not can I don't know, Todd, maybe you should consider moving to Ireland so that way yeah we can, you know, do better. I don't know. Anyways, uh, so uh, long story short they were never able to sell, uh, the, this concept, uh, for wonder for, um, life and health to, uh, to a company to, to put in Epcot. So, um, like I said, this pavilion is, is in the 1978 model in the position of, um, where journey into imagination ended up going. Um, supposedly, uh, Disney felt so confident, uh, that this would get built that they actually started some production of some of the set pieces. Uh, they apparently there were some giant cells made in things, uh, for the, for the Omnimover ride. Uh, but they just couldn't get it across the finish line. And by 79, you know, Kodak had signed on. So they put journey into imagination in that spot. Um, they hung on to it for a while. They, you know, continued to hope to do it. There was an article, um, that I found about wonders of life and Barry Braverman says, Uh, that in the 1980s, uh, it seemed like it could get sponsored by Humana, who is a hospital management and health insurance company in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, but they could never reach an agreement even back then. Um, the spokesman from Humana actually confirmed that they were interested in the pavilion, but they couldn't find anyone internally that knew why the deal fell apart. Um, Braverman said that Humana really wanted to stress, uh, medical technology instead of health. Like heart transplant kind of things, but Disney didn't feel that that would be as entertaining as just a general, you know, health pavilion. So it wasn't until oh my gosh, a confluence of MetLife and Tishman and Epcot Resorts blowing up that this I think that's ultimately what brought this group together and made Wonders of Life happening. Uh, and we will talk about that
0: uh, on our next episode. So much. Gosh, so much to go over.
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I want to give a shout out um, to, you know, Jeff Heimbluk for his book. Uh, it's a kind of cute story uh, to Ted Linhart and his website, DisneyDocs.net for access to all kinds of early Epcot documents that I got to pour through in order to find this stuff out. And of course, uh, Rolly Crump for allowing us to interview him. Uh, huge, huge thanks, Roly What a what a brilliant mind, fun guy. Like he's the whole package right there.
0: Yeah. How I mean when when Roly invited us into their home into his home um, you know, a couple of years ago now. My gosh, that was what, 2017? No, twenty nineteen. Oh, so okay, yeah, that's so. right. Um it really well. I mean, the guy's got a brilliant mind, uh, as we mentioned earlier. He's remembered so many different things over the years. And um I just think all the different things that he had and I'm, I'm I'm glad that we're able to share some of those clips again here of uh, the different things he said because that that's man that's a whole episode itself we could just let the interview run.
1: Well, <laughs> and even the like the carnival games that you talked mm. about that he initially had for the health education stuff, I mean, drawing on the fact that he had just finished Circus World for for ringling, uh, you know, the theme park attraction experience in in Florida um you know just uh, raleigh's a great example of you know we we I, I forget which of the episodes of the tony baxter where we talked about his obsession with wizard of oz and crystals and you know how all of that ended oh, up yeah. uh playing out in his designs for the land i think it was in a land episode that we did and uh and and ultimately some of it coming to pass in journey into imagination uh, and with Raleigh, you see those themes again and again and again and again. Um, which will, you know, as we get into the final pavilion, uh, his influence looms large over it.
0: So, how I appreciate you putting this together. I know people are saying, "What? We're 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 done already? We're done already?" But there's a lot. Man, like, we didn't talk it, about the attractions. They're, they're like
3: song it's song? only oh, been an hour. A, I'm used to your episodes going for an hour and a half and two hours. But if we started, oh, it would be a
0: three and a half hour episode.
3: Right. So,
1: right. Yeah. So this is uh, this is like a prequel. Exactly, exactly.
0: So we're, we're, we're going to get there. But let's talk about a couple things uh, that are in the works. I, You know, I think by the time this is hit, uh, I'd love to put out some information uh, about something that we're doing. You know, we always do an ornament, uh, so there will be a holiday ornament coming out. And I guess the only thing we could say about this, we could say it's the greatest of all time. Wouldn't you say, Brian?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes I, I i would agree with that
0: i think it's the i think we'll uh, end it there right hint i like that yes. hint i like that it, hint
1: it, it, I, I, it'll probably be out by the time this episode depends released, on how quickly know. yes
0: we're, we're waiting on some things to come through but uh uh as always you can any ornament or different thing that we do for donations you can get them at lbvh forward slash donate and um how i you've got a lot of wonders of life episodes here so i'm sure the wheels have been turning and the gear and all that uh you got some ideas for something
3: oh you mean merchandise yeah wise? merchandise oh yeah i'm going to have to going to have to come up with something wonders of life uh, the condom wonders of life the hemoglobin <laughs> uh wonders of life the we're going to have a lovely set of
0: syringes that oh, are wow yeah wonders of life the biohazard bag right
3: <laughs> so, wonders of life the uh actually gosh why haven't they cashed in on this you could do you know oh like, be blood glucose meters and all kinds of
0: things yeah uh who knows maybe maybe one of the ornaments we could do is just some some you know uh, red blood cells on little uh <laughs> little fishing lines <laughs> that hang on the hang on your tree or ornament you know so. I, I can't think of
3: anything that would be more lovely to wake up for <laughs> in Christmas morning than like a large intestine strewn
0: <laughs> over the Christmas tree. That's the garland. You know, we do have a yeah. lot of foot. We have a lot, a lot of length of gut in ourselves. I think, so, that's I, a, think funny. a couple a couple red blood cells yeah. in, in the vehicle, you know, floating in a little of the christmas it tree is so we weird else. like
3: all of this stuff is like strikes me as like kind of disgusting like yeah. the medical illustrations are f- incredible and like there, i'll put a link to a a movie that um that frank armadage made which again it's it it's so neat but at the same time you're just like oh they <laughs> like i'm inside someone's stomach this is kind of <laughs> gross i
0: i think when we uh, we'll, we'll certainly talk about that when we get to the you know Talk about the, 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 the attraction, but they certainly oh, yeah. did it in a way that was—I mean, yeah. There was. We'll talk about how you could be queasy with it too, but they—they they kept the blood out of it in a very good way because you were so tiny. How could how could you see blood? That's
3: true. You weren't surrounded just by like red the
0: entire <laughs> time, <laughs> right? <laughs> so. Uh, ha, ha, the, I, the crossover would have been great with Martin Short, though. Can you imagine that, Brian? If he didn't do Making a Me, he actually did, they, they, they they could have really pulled that together.
1: Well, we figured out he was in what three or four different attractions. Yeah. So there's no reason there couldn't have been a right, fifth.
0: Right. Right. I mean, in their space with Martin Short, you know, that would be that would be fantastic. So anyway, I'm getting ahead of our, myself here, and I know we've got a lot to do before we before we get there. But how again? Thank you very much for doing that. So. Uh, and thank you to all of our listeners. Please keep writing into podcast at retrowdw.com. We enjoy all your letters, and JT's got, got some stuff to do. We'll keep him busy uh, sending that stuff out. And if you can, uh, check out our merchandise at retrowdw.com forward slash support us. And uh, we will be back relatively soon. We're going to do another episode uh, coming up shortly as well. So don't go anywhere. You'll see a new one pop up in your favorite podcasting app. We're back. It's fall. And we'll get a couple new episodes out too. So, thank you very much to everyone. Gentlemen, thank you tonight for your time. And uh, as always,
1: uh, Brian, take us out. Follow the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society on Twitter and Instagram at LBV History and on the web at lbvhistory.org. For all things retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com and on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at RetroWDW. And follow our hosts, Todd McCartney, on Twitter at WDWMS, Hal Bowers on Twitter and Instagram at GoAwayGreen. JT Couger on Twitter at LS1JT and on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring and on the web at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Brian P. Miles. Retro Disney World is the monthly podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society, a nonpartisan, nonprofit, tax exempt 501c3 organization and is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Corporation or any of its subsidiary or affiliated entities.